Welcome to ReachMD, this medical industry feature titled Spotlight on the Rare and Challenging EGFR Exxon 20 Insertion in Non-Small Cell Lung Cancer, is sponsored by Takeda. My name is Dr. John Hamack. I'm a professor of medicine and the chair of the Department of Thoracic Head and Neck Medical Oncology at the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center. Today, we're joined by Dr. Michelle Schiller. Dr. Schiller is an expert pathologist and the Associate Medical Director of Genomics and Molecular Pathology Services at Path Group. She is also the Medical Director of the Division of Cancer Genetics at the Baylor Simons Cancer Center. Dr. Schiller, welcome to Spotlight on Rare and Challenging EGFR Exxon 20 Insertion in Non-Small Cell Lung Cancer Podcast. Thank you, Dr. Hamack. I'm happy to be here. Current epidemiology data shows that lung cancer is by far the leading cause of cancer-related deaths worldwide, with approximately 1.8 million deaths in 2020. Dr. Hamack, can you help us understand why patients with lung cancer experience such poor outcomes? Yeah, well, I think the primary reason is that in, in lung cancer patients, Survival is heavily based on, on the stage uh, diagnosis. And unfortunately for lung cancer, uh, the majority, about 60%, are already metastatic at the time of diagnosis. Um, survival for patients with metastatic disease are, are unfortunately nowhere near where we'd like them to be. Uh, currently, about 6% of these patients who are metastatic when they're diagnosed are expected to be alive at five years. You know, we know there are different types of lung cancer. What are the broad categories of lung cancer and how are they defined? Yeah, well, well you, you can divide lung cancer, broadly speaking, into two major groups, uh, small cell, which is the most aggressive type, and non-small cell. Uh, non-small is, is the most common of those. Um, it, it's about 85%. Uh, and you can divide non-small cell up into you know, three major groups, uh, adenocarcinoma, which is about 50 to 60%, squamous, which is about 20 to 30 percent, and then a third group that has a, a mixture of, of other uh, subtypes. Can you explain what a, a driver mutation uh, is and, and how that impacts you know, how we choose a therapy? Driver mutations cause dysregulation of signaling pathways, which will lead to the accumulation of tumor cells due to increased cell proliferation and survival. And because this key role driver mutations play in the progression of cancer, it's critical to try to identify whether a patient has a mutation in one of these genes that is driving the cancer's growth in order to identify therapies which can target those alterations and have a more specific effect on the cancer itself. Endocarcinomas and squamous cell carcinomas are both driven by numerous oncogenic mutations. And in patients with adenocarcinoma, the most common are KRAS mutations occurring at around 30%. And then EGFR mutations are the second most prevalent. They average to approximately 15% of patients. Dr. Hamack, what are some of the elements of the EGF receptor structure and physiology that underlie its function? EGF receptors are what we call transmembrane proteins. That means they go across the membrane. There's a part outside the membrane, the extracellular domain, and that binds the ligand. A ligand, in this case, is EGFR, 
And the intracellular uh, domain has uh, the, the business end, if you will, the, the part that's active is, is called the tyrosine kinase uh, domain. Uh, and what it, the tyrosine kinase domain does is it, it has a little binding pocket. Uh, around that binding pocket is something called the, the C helix. Uh, that kinase activity is what turns on all the intracellular signaling inside the cell uh, that gets the cell to proliferate or divide or survive or um, to grow new blood vessels, all the things that, uh, th- that uh, signal into a cell uh, that, that can turn it cancerous if it's uncontrolled. Can you help me um, understand a little bit more the normal function of the EGF receptor? Yeah, well, normally, as I mentioned, uh, a ligand binds and it turns on the receptor. The way it does that um, is the receptor actually homodimerizes, meaning that two receptors come together when the ligand binds. And when it homodimerizes, or or it, it can also heterodimerize, the EGF can receptor can interact with uh, other receptors as well. It causes the receptor to change its shape. And then we get these other proteins to bind uh, to the intracellular uh, domain. When it's activated, then it turns on some signaling pathways uh, downstream. One pathway we think of we, uh, is called the RAS, uh, RAF-MEC pathway. Uh, another pathway we think of is the PI3 kinase AKT mTOR pathway. Uh, this receptor turns on cells and tells it to divide. It tells the cells to survive. It often tells the cells to metastasize and to grow more blood vessels and do all sorts of things that can help a tumor grow. Well, you know, so let's get a little bit more into that. So you mentioned the C helix. Can you expand a little bit more about the role of the C helix and the normal function of the EGF receptor? Yeah, so when, um, when the EGF receptor is uh, activated, it, the kinase domain itself undergoes some changes. And you know, it's a little tough to visualize, but if you've got sort of a, a, a pocket uh, that this ATP fits into, well, it's got a protein structure around that pocket. And part of that pocket where the ATP binds is a structure called the alpha C helix. Um, a C helix is a, a, a piece of a protein that's just shaped like a helix. It just, uh, um, you know, when the helix is pointed outwards, the, the kinase is inactive. When it pu- gets pushed inwards in the right conformation, it turns on. Um, so this, the helix and the loop, these are key parts of the structure. So, so Dr. Schiller, can you, can you explain what happens when these receptors get mutated? You know, it happens in lung cancer. What's the, the consequence from a, a tumor perspective? You mentioned already receptor ligand binding leads to receptor dimerization and phosphorylation. And biologically, phosphorylation activates something, right? Now that activation may be a silencing or it may be an upregulation. But nonetheless, the active phosphorylation turns something, a function, on or, or activates it. And then that has effects downstream and pathways involved in key cellular processes. Mutations in EGFR result in increased or sustained phosphorylation of the receptor without ha- requiring stimulation of the ligand or binding. So they are, one word we like to use is constitutively activated or turned on without being able to turn off, as you say, and ultimately resulting in tumor development and immortalization of that population. 
Do you want to talk about key areas where these mutations in particular occur in, uh, uh, in EGFR mutated lung cancer? EGFR itself has 28 exons. However, when we're talking about lung cancer and in EGFR, they're typically clustered within the first four exons of the domain called the tyrosine kinase domain, which is a functionally active domain. And in EGFR, those exons are 18 through 21. Now, deletions and insertions in exon 19 and point mutations in exon 21 are the most common alterations accounting for when you look at all EGFR mutations as a broad category, 85% of EGFR mutations. So the others um, are primarily point mutations occurring in exon 18 and insertions in exon 20. And, and although less common, EGFR mutations as a, at exon 20 have important impacts, as I said, on the therapeutic decision-making. So you mentioned that exon 20 is about 10% of the EGFR mutations. Um, you know, so something like 2% of, of all non-small cell lung cancer uh, cases a, a, as a whole. Um, and while that sounds like a small percentage, of course, that's as common as some other, you know, uh, uh, subgroups. Um, yeah, to, to better understand the effect of, of these mutations, can you uh, describe sort of some of the consequences of these exon 20 insertions? Absolutely, and, and this goes in a little bit to what you described previously, but these exon 20 insertions generally occur within the loop following the C helix that you so beautifully described for us. The insertion pushes the C helix out of the binding pocket from the C-terminal site into its inward or active conformation. This allows it to interact with the phosphate binding loop of the active site that's situated between the N and C lobes, and the ultimate result of this is constitutive activation of EGF receptor signaling. Um, so from your perspective, what's the, the consequences of those, those changes in the protein structure? It gets locked into um, the ATP pocket and results in steric hindrance. So essentially, the size of the binding pocket is reduced and this prohibits efficient binding of the EGF receptor tyrosine kinase inhib inhibitors so for patients receiving EGFR tyrosine kinase inhibitors, how much worse are the outcomes in patients with exon 20 insertion mutations than patients with the more common EGFR mutations? Yeah. Well, if you start with the EGFR inhibitors that we've had available to us, you know, for the last uh, 10 to 15 years, we, you know, we call these first or second or third generation inhibitors. You know, if you take um, all the patients with classical mutations, outcomes uh, for treatment with first, second, and third generation drugs are between uh, 11 and 19 months or so in terms of progression-free survival, how long it takes the tumor to start growing. By contrast, if you take the same drugs and look at exon 20 insertions, it's typically uh, one and a half to three months or so before they start growing. Well, with the recent approvals of mobocertinib and amivantamab, use of these products may change our treatment approach, but We'll get to that later. Yep. Wonderful. Well, can you help us understand even more so what you're seeing in your own clinical practice with respect to these unique EGFR mutations um, and so on as you incorporate that and see your patients on a daily basis? Yeah, well, happily, this is something that's really you know, changing pretty dramatically. Um, up until recently, 
um, people with these unusual uh, or atypical EGFR mutations had much worse outcomes uh, than patients with the classical EGFR mutations. You know, there was one retrospective study from a few years ago where uh, the median survival for people with an exon 20 insertion was uh, about 16 months. Um, those with classical mutations was about 33 months. Yeah, you know, Dr. Hamak, it's, it's very clear that these patients don't respond well to most currently available therapies. So how does this affect their quality of life? Yeah. Well, well patients have a lot of uh, disease-related symptoms that, that really does adversely impact their, their quality of life. Uh, first of all, virtually all patients, or more than 90%, uh, actually have fatigue. Uh, about 70% of patients have uh, some pain and or shortness of breath. Uh, cough often goes along with it. Sometimes it's a, a, a dry cough, what we call a non-productive cough. Other times they're coughing up uh, phlegm. Um, uh, and occasionally they're coughing up blood as well, what we call uh, hemoptysis. Uh, and, you know, for at least half of the patients, uh, these disease-related side effects actually impact their ability to um, just to do their normal uh, activities of daily living, what we call their uh, ADLs, uh, in terms of uh, household chores, uh, going to the store, um, social activities. And um, patients can also experience um, uh, headaches and visual changes, and sometimes uh, that's secondary to brain metastases, which is a common problem uh, with um, people with lung cancer. Um, and brain metastases can cause uh, all sorts of other side effects. It can affect their balance, uh, their ability to walk and get along. It, you know, uh, it, it can have a, a wide variety of side effects, but headaches and visual change would be two of the common uh, ones that have from that. And, and so if you look as a whole, th these symptoms really do uh, affect patients' quality of life. Um, so, you know, we've already heard that there are two therapies available for the patients who have the EGFR exon 20 mutation. Can you give us more information about those therapies? Um, we now have two drugs that are FDA approved. Uh, the first one is amivantamab. Amivantamab is a bispecific uh, antibody. And so this bivalent antibody, one part of it binds the EGF receptor, the other part of it binds something called CMET. Uh, so this is now approved for people with uh, advanced or metastatic non-small cell lung cancer with EGFR exon 20 insertions uh, as, as detected by an FDA-approved test. Uh, if their cancer has progressed um, after receiving uh, a platinum-based chemotherapy, more like the, the typical tyrosine kinase inhibitors that we've been using for a number of years, but it's really uh, um, designed to be specific for exon 20 insertions. This one's called mobicertinib. So this is an EGFR inhibitor. It's given uh, uh, daily, orally. Uh, and you know, as we talked about before, EGFR exon 20 presents certain challenges uh, for a drug to inhibit. And this one's specifically designed to sort of fit into that reduced tyrosine kinase pocket um, that, that makes it hard for uh, standard drugs uh, to bind in there. And, and mobicertinib is approved uh, for use of uh, adults with EGFR mutant non-small cell lung cancer if the EGFR mutations are in that exon 20 uh, region again, if they're insertions in uh, EGFR exon 
2020. Uh, and if that was uh, diagnosed with an FDA-approved uh, test. And again, this is for patients whose disease already progressed after platinum-based chemotherapy. Well, uh, uh, Dr. Schiller, it's, it's been great uh, discussing this with you. So, so thanks so much for, for your insights uh, and uh, your, your great discussion of driver mutations and, and the pathologic aspects here um, for non-small cell lung cancer. It's really been a, a pleasure chatting with you. Uh, thank you to our listeners as well. Uh, and also, please stay tuned for our upcoming podcast, where we'll focus on the efficacy and safety of Mobacertinib and its recent approval for the treatment of patients with EGFRX on 20 insertion positive uh, non-small cell lung cancer, whose disease has progressed uh, on or after platinum-based chemotherapy. This program was sponsored by Takeda. Dr. Haymock and Dr. Schiller are paid consultants of Takeda. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for your clinical knowledge or professional judgment. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the presenters and Takeda and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the HCP's institution or practice. If you missed any part of this discussion, visit ReachMD.com slash industry dash feature. This is ReachMD. Be part of the knowledge.